You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. All through the pandemic, dental professionals have struggled to protect themselves, their team members, and their patients from airborne infectious disease. Supplies of surgical masks and respirators have been in short supply, and guidance from regulatory agencies such as OSHA and the CDC have been, to say the least, a bit confusing at times. To help us better understand all this is our good friend Mary Gavoni. Mary is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant, working with dental teams for more than 40 years on clinical efficiency, infection prevention, ergonomics, and team communications. She has a master's in business administration and is an RDH and CDA. Mary, thanks so much for joining us on Dental Talk. Oh, well, thanks for having me back again. It's great to be here. It gets more and more complicated as the months go on. You'd figure this would all be totally fleshed out by now because of uh, the waning pandemic. It's kind of waning, but mm-hmm. you can you know elaborate on that yourself a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but there is so much confusion. So we're not really you know in a state of clarity yet in dentistry about respiratory protection. So no. especially with regard to respirators. So can you help us understand what's going on right now? Absolutely. What has been going on um, in the past has been a, a real struggle, as you alluded to before, for dental practices to get any kind of respiratory protection because we were in the crisis supply um, mode. But we're not now, although many people don't yet realize that. But you, as you said, the pandemic is waning, but not everywhere. I think what we're going to continue to see are pockets of cases that are are surging and now we have this new delta strain that's more infectious that's more serious and it's happening mostly in in states that have low vaccination rates so we still have the threat of a transmission possibility in a dental practice if someone is asymptomatic and there's been a lot of confusion as you said about what do we need to do to protect ourselves even if we are vaccinated as a dental health care worker and the cdc guidance and the osha regulations are meant to protect workers whether they are vaccinated or not they don't differentiate in other words by saying that you know because mary's vaccinated she doesn't have to have a high level of respiratory protection but if phil is not then he does have to have all this high level of protection so what a lot of dental practices don't i guess clearly understand is the role of the CDC. And the CDC guidance for dental settings very clearly states that N95 respirators or a higher level of protection is the recommended respiratory protection if you're doing aerosol generating procedures. And if you're not, then a fluid resistant, hopefully an ASTM level three surgical mask with a face shield for non-aerosol generating procedures. And even though the CDC guidance is not a law, the OSHA enforcement guidance for all workplace settings, especially healthcare, says that we must follow CDC guidance. What's happened with all the loosening of the guidance in public settings. In many cases, people make the assumption that it also applies in dental settings and they're not requiring face masks to be worn by patients into the office or they're not screening patients anymore, but they need to. 
And they also need to pay attention to the types of PPE, the face masks or the respirators that they're getting. They need to make sure that they're reading the literature that comes with those those masks or or respirators and make sure that they have a high level of fluid resistance because if fluid is allowed to penetrate through those masks then the mask material itself becomes a wick for other particles to be um, passing through the masks when people are breathing in through their face masks. So they have to be careful about that. Yeah. And I, actually, I know our sponsor, Halyard, who's very much into education and mentoring uh, in the area of infection control, they have that description on their masks, right, for fluid resistant. Absolutely, they do. But many people just take whatever they can get, whether it's through a dental supplier or maybe they're buying them online somewhere and they don't necessarily pay attention to that. No one should in in a healthcare setting, especially in dentistry where we have so much aerosol production, they shouldn't be using any kind of surgical masks that aren't labeled as surgical masks and have an ASTM rating on them. And they should be level three because they have the most fluid resistance and they have the best um, bacterial and particle filtration rates. But I didn't think the CDC focused on the fluid resistant part. Am I right there or, or did I misunderstand? Well, Actually, in the CDC guidance, they don't. But if you look at NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which actually is a branch of the CDC, that's where they talk about fluid resistance and particle filtration and so forth. So the CDC always mentions NIOSH certified respiratory protection or NIOSH certified personal protective equipment. And, you know, we've just sort of always taken masks for granted. Um, you and I have had the conversation where we go back to the early days of HIV and AIDS when we started wearing face masks regularly. And we didn't even understand what an ASTM rating was, what a face mask is a face mask is a face mask. And we just wore whatever was supplied in the practice. But now we know more. Now we have a lot more um, scientific information about the aerosol hazards in dentistry. So these are the things we need to be looking for. And fluid resistance is a big part of that. Right. So we're looking at ASTM level three and then respirator yes. and respirators, which are N95. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and then for the front office staff, though, or people in the office that are not actually doing the procedures, can they wear a level one and two? They could actually, because the CDC guidelines say that. Um, they can practice part of what is called universal source control, which could even include a, a cloth face mask, although many of them do not. They'll simply wear what is available in the office. And because there are recommendations for having um, some type of physical barrier, like at the front desk, so that there's maybe a plexiglass stand or something where they're checking patients in and out, they have just a, yet another layer of protection. So yeah, they could wear a level one or a level two. Some have believed that they needed to wear respirators at the front desk, and they do not. That's just with aerosol generating procedures. Right. So a segue to that is that um, let's talk about how OSHA and CDC define aerosol generating procedures. It's really interesting. The best description 
that I've seen of aerosol generating procedures actually from any agency was or is in that new emergency temporary standard that came out last week, which we'll talk about in a bit. And they say um, dental high-speed handpieces and air water syringes, ultrasonic scalers, and air polishing and air abrasion. And that's pretty much what we have talked about in CDC guidance before. But one of the things that was discussed early on in the pandemic was not polishing after a profi when we opened practices back up because it was a hand piece and, and it was gonna create aerosol. Well, I questioned all along. I said, that really to me is spatter and splatter. Um, we're not running water and air through that slow speed handpiece. And they didn't mention slow speed handpieces in that description. So again, it's air water syringe, ultrasonic scaler, air polishing, air abrasion, and high-speed hand pieces. Mm -hmm. So for all that, we want to use a respirator. And yes. anything, any other procedure that doesn't fall in that category, ASTM three level 3 is what's recommended. Yes. And okay. again, with that high fluid rating in a face shield. Right. Now, is this going to be going on for a number of years after the pandemic really comes to what we think is under control? I think it may continue. And what's going to be, I think, a good indicator for us will be the next version of the CDC guidance for dental settings. That we're actually expecting to be published any day now. And so they will update the December 2020 version of that guidance. And some of the folks that I have talked to that have some knowledge of this are saying that what the CDC said before was don't um, perform aerosol generating procedures unless it's necessary. Now that they may say that aerosol generating procedures are okay to do, but here's the parameters that you have to follow, which most likely will be continuing to wear respirators, but we just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. The thing that, that frustrates me is that so many people just want to go back to the old way that we used to do things in dentistry. And the old way wasn't necessarily so safe. I mean, we know from some studies that hygienists have historically had some of the highest rates of influenza in, in healthcare settings and particularly in the dental setting. And my guess is that because they work with an instrument, an ultrasonic scaler that creates the most aerosol of anything, and they would wear a face mask and safety glasses. And a lot of times you would see them put their face mask down underneath their nose because they got too warm. And, and so it's, it's no surprise, but um, we got to remember that this is all focused on keeping us safe and keeping us healthy, that we're exposed to a lot of things um, in, that, in that aerosol. So in addition to wearing respirators, how else can dental professionals protect themselves from aerosols? This is called the layered approach to protection. So the CDC and OSHA both talk about room ventilation and air purification, which a lot of practices have um, installed in in their treatment rooms. They put HEPA filtration units and so forth. But really the tool that helps the most to contain the aerosol is simply high volume evacuation. 
And so for the dentist and assistant, that's not a big deal because if they're practicing forehanded dentistry, then there always is that other pair of hands from the dental assistant that's there with the HVE. It's the hygienists who are challenged the most because they very rarely have an assistant to suction for them. And it's difficult to try to hold an HVE hose and, and keep it close to the area where they're working and, and scale with their other hand. And if they needed a mirror to reflect or you know use indirect vision, then then you become the juggler. So there's been a lot of devices that have, have been introduced that were modified from using um, a saliva ejector. Now you can attach it to the HVE hose, but it still doesn't capture the aerosol right where it's being used. So I encourage people to look for devices that can, for example, actually attach to the chair on a very flexible arm that can be moved right close to wherever we're scaling and contain that aerosol. There's studies that show that the HVE can actually remove up to 90% of the aerosol. So HVE, which has been around forever, is our friend. And that addition to the respiratory protection and air filtration makes a safe environment. Yeah, and that's interesting because it's going back to the basics. You know, it's the most efficient, cost-effective way to do it. You don't have to install major pieces of equipment. You don't have to mess around with your HVAC. Um, I think Dental Ease has something like that. They do. It's called Hands-Free HVE. It is honestly one of my favorites It because the arm is so nice and flexible and the hygienist can get it really close to where where they're working. It's a great device. So since most uh, dental practices are exempt from the recently released uh, emergency temporary standard, does that mean that um, there are changes to the respiratory protection requirements for aerosol generating procedures? No, there are not. Um, and um, I, this is sort of a two-part answer. So I'll do the, the, um, the short answer about exempt from the standard. If you look at the decision tree or the flow chart that OSHA published to help an employer determine if this emergency temporary standard applied to their workplace, if there's the, the second box in this flow chart, there are three criteria that have to be met to be exempt. One is that you are a non-hospital-based ambulatory care setting, and that describes dentistry. Ambulatory care just simply meaning that they're treating patients outside of a hospital setting. And if they are screening all non-employees coming into the facility, which many practices have stopped doing because they think they didn't need to anymore. So that means going back to the temperature checks and the screening questions, and then that they do not allow anyone with COVID symptoms or a known um, COVID positive patient to enter their facility. So that could be employees, that could be sales reps, it could be delivery people, it could be patients. So they have to go back to that screening that we started doing when we first opened back up in order to be exempt from the standard. Essentially, that's, I think, relatively easy to do for these practices. Just go back to screen or continue to screen if you have been. But it doesn't negate 
the CDC guidance that we are required to follow. And there is a document that OSHA has published, which is their enforcement standards for um, COVID safety. And if they go into any workplace, a dental practice in particular, they the, the guidance documents specifically say they must be following all CDC guidance documents or guidelines. So we simply flip back to those CDC guidelines again. And so that's where it states wearing respirators for aerosol generating procedures. Now, I mentioned earlier that the CDC is getting ready to release an update to that. And the other, I guess, twist to the story of what's happening in, in the regulatory world in dentistry right now, of course, is OSHA's National Emphasis Program, which is their enforcement program now for COVID safety. So part of this emphasis program will mean that a certain number of dental practices because they're in the high risk category will have unannounced inspections so they need to be following all that cdc guidance if they hoped to pass an inspection yeah i was going to ask you about that as we wrap up this podcast in your experience of teaching and everything else you do how is that going with these unannounced inspections are dentists generally doing okay with them or are they finding dental offices that are non-compliant well, I don't think, at least I haven't heard or I haven't seen in any of the information that OSHA's published about the inspections that have been closed, I haven't seen any that are really non-compliant, but pretty much all of the ones done during the pandemic in recent times have some level of infraction or, or non-compliance with respiratory standards. They don't have a respiratory plan. They aren't wearing respirators when they should be for aerosol generating procedures, not fit testing and so forth. The good thing about this national emphasis plan though is that OSHA has stated that their concern is really correcting the problems more so than penalizing employers. So they may not issue citations or fines from these inspections, but they absolutely will expect employers to correct any deficiencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that's, I think that's the fair thing to do. And absolutely. Plus, yeah. And plus, it's just been, there's been so many updates and so many changes. It's not easy for, especially the solo practitioner or the, the small group practice to keep up with all the stuff. We need, of course, lots more Mary Gavonis around to help us <laughs> put it all together. But now that they're doing another update soon, you'll be on a new podcast, hopefully soon, or another webinar, and you can update all of us on those changes. Absolutely. Stay tuned. Yeah. And and I feel for, for practices that it is very difficult. It's hard for me from one day to the next to keep up on all these things and then to sit down and read through a standard and reread it and really try to understand it and then discuss it with my colleagues. I can't imagine in a practice um, trying to deliver patient care and keep up on everything else. Right, it's crazy. Right. It's not like the dentist has nothing else to do. That's for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, you know, dentistry has never been easy. It's got a little bit tougher, but when we get through all this, we'll raise the bar on infection control practices. Yes, like you we said, will. we're never going back to the old days. And like you said, just because everybody said, well, you know, we did it this way for years, it doesn't mean it was the best way. And we're in a different time now. So we'll, we'll all adjust. Yes, we Thank you so much for all we the will. insight. You're amazing, Mary. Thanks for doing this podcast Thank you. out of your car today. Second, this is the, <laughs> as I said, this is the second podcast of the week uh, that someone actually did it out of their automobile. That's amazing. Yeah, 
it's sort of the way we roll these days. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, all right. Well, you have a great weekend and thanks so much. And safe travels home. All right. Thanks, Phil. Take care. <laughs>